right. Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor and want to invite you to either open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 or you can look in this in the bulletin. There's the verses we're going to be looking at with a place to take notes. We're in a series called Invincible Joy. And what we've been seeing is that Christians are able to have joy in their lives no matter what because Jesus is God's anointed king. And we know that God chose Jesus to be the supreme leader of the world because God raised Jesus from the dead. So Easter is the ultimate celebration of this, but every Sunday we're reminded that Jesus passed through the tunnel of death and came out the other side. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us God's future. It shows us that God will raise all the followers of Jesus from the dead, and they will inherit with Jesus a renewed and perfected world where everything is glorious and beautiful and reconciled and peaceful and adventurous and creative and harmonious. This good is coming for the followers of Jesus, and it gives us this invincible joy that acts as a shield, protecting us from despair and hopelessness in this life. That's what this series is about, and we need this joy to be a shield, um, because following Jesus is difficult. It's difficult for lots and lots of reasons, and today we're going to think about one of the reasons why it's difficult to follow Jesus. Um, today we're going to talk about that following Jesus is difficult because of opposition. Because of opposition. There are people in our world, in our lives, there are people who either don't like Jesus or they don't like people who follow Jesus. And they oppose Christians and Christianity in ways that make it more difficult for us to follow Jesus. Now, it's true that sometimes, very often, Christians deserve criticism. Okay, sometimes Christians do things that don't honor Jesus, or they do things that don't reflect Jesus' character. Um, but sometimes the opposition that we face isn't because we've done something wrong. Sometimes we face opposition because we are following Jesus and we're acting the way that he did. <clears throat> most people, if you really press them, most people oppose Christians for believing that Jesus died to rescue people who don't live the way God designed. Sometimes they oppose us overtly and sometimes more subtly. Most people oppose Christians because we are sometimes trying to help people see that having a relationship with Jesus is different from every other religion in the world. And so they oppose us, sometimes overtly, sometimes more subtly. We get labeled as intolerant when we say that people need to turn the direction of their lives to follow Jesus. We get labeled as judgmental when we encourage people to stop doing things that are hurting themselves or hurting others or things that are hurting their relationship with God. Sometimes the opposition is subtle. Sometimes the opposition is overt. Uh, there are parts of the world where people are literally being tortured and killed for their faith. For us, it's much, much different, but it's not less real. For us, there's this 
there's this pressure, right? Do you feel this opposition? Do you suffer from this opposition in any way? I mean, I would say if you've ever felt pressure to be silent about what you believe, then you have felt this oppression. If you've ever felt like you wanted to say something about Jesus, but you shouldn't because the people around you would look down on you or would think that you're stupid or because you were afraid of being grouped in with people that aren't respected, then you have felt this opposition. And I think if we're honest, this opposition is frightening. Okay, it may not frighten us to the point where we fear to lose our lives, but very often the frightening nature of this opposition is our reputation. It's what people think of us. It's us being grouped in with people that are labeled as idiots. And I would say that if you aren't frightened by this opposition, there's a chance that you aren't speaking up for Jesus in the way that he would want you to. Now, I'm not saying that we're to be going out and looking to start arguments with people, but if you aren't being affected at all by the opposition that people have to the gospel and to Jesus, you at least have to ask yourself, am I bowing to the pressure to keep silent about Jesus because I don't want the people around me to ridicule me for being a Christian? Now, this is why we need the, the, the wisdom that comes from the Bible. Now, the Bible speaks directly to this opposition that we face. Um, last week, we saw um, in Philippians 1, we saw in verses 20 through 26, um, in these verses, we saw that Paul is fearless against opposition. Right, The apostle Paul, we looked at his life last week, that he was fearless to stand up and to be bold in the face of opposition because for him, it didn't matter if he lived or died because Paul knew that on either path, there was good that would come and Jesus would be honored with either path that was before him. And so he had joy because no matter what happened, he was going to honor Jesus and come what may. Paul was committed to be proud of Jesus and of his relationship. He was open about his relationship with Jesus. And so if the opposition in Paul's life liked Jesus, then Paul knew he would live on and more people would get to hear about Jesus and more people would get to experience a relationship with Jesus. And this was good. And, be, and because of that good that was to come, if people liked, if the opposition was okay with Paul preaching about Jesus, then that was good, and Paul would have this invincible joy. But if it turned out that the opposition stayed opposed to Jesus and even killed Paul because he was undermining their way of life, then Paul would be killed and he would go to his death showing that Jesus is more important than anything, even life. And for him, honoring Jesus with the ultimate sacrifice was good. It was even better, Paul says, because then he got to go and be with Jesus and so because of that good, Paul would also have invincible joy. And Paul summarized this by saying, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this is what we looked at last week in verses 20 through 26. And so this part of the letter that we're looking at, this letter that Paul wrote, it starts with Paul being fearless against opposition. And this part of the letter ends in verses 28 to 30 where with us. It ends with us, and it says that we are fearless against opposition. 
And so let's read uh, these verses, verses 28 to 30. They're in your bulletin. They're going to be on the screens. It says this. It says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So this is us not being frightened by our opponents. It says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So again, there's lots and lots of things to say about these verses. But the main point is that Paul is writing to these Christians and saying in verse 28 that they are not frightened in anything by your opponents. And so, going back to the structure of this part of the letter, um, verses 20 to 26, Paul is fearless versus opposition. In verses 28 to 30, we are fearless versus opposition. And the question is, how do we go from Paul being fearless to us being fearless? Right, what's the key? The answer is verse 27. It's a verse right in between. Let's read it together. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul's answer to becoming fearless in the face of opposition is church unity. It's church unity. The fear of opposition is overcome by unity in the church. It looks like us standing and striving together as a church family. It's us standing and striving together as a church family. Did you see that in that verse, in verse 27? Let's look at it again in your bulletins. I mean, it says there, man, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so when opposition comes, you get strength when you're not alone and you know it. Right? You aren't as frightened when you know that someone has your back. Friends, the community of the church gives us real power. This verse says we stand firm in one spirit and we strive together for the faith of the gospel. Stephen Pressfield is an author um, and he wrote a book called Gates of Fire. It was turned into a movie called 300. Um, actually, the book and the movie might have been had a common source, but um, but it's it's the it's the story of the Spartan warrior. It, it traces the life of the Spartan warrior in ancient Greece and the battle of the 300. Those 300 unbelievable men who stood against an army of two million Persians as the Persian army tried to take over Greece. Um, and here's a picture of them standing in battle. This was the the famous phalanx of. The, uh, of the Spartan army. And this is a quote. He says, um, he says, the Spartans excuse without penalty the warrior who loses his helmet or his breastplate in battle. 
but they punish with loss of all citizenship rights the man who discards his shield. So shields, they stood at the phalanx, arm and arm and arm and arm, um, to create this impenetrable barrier. So you lose your helmet or your breastplate, no big deal. You lose your shield and you lose all of your citizenship rights. Why? He said this, a warrior carries helmet and breastplate for his own protection, but he carries his shield for the safety of the man next to him. Boom. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I love this because this brings, it hits a part of the Bible. It hits an image that Paul actually uses in another part of the Bible. It's actually in our Harbor City Kids bulletin today, the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, it describes this. And, and one of the verses in Ephesians 6, verse 16, it says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, right? That our faith is actually a shield. It says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so, friends, our faith isn't just for us, but it's to strengthen and serve the faith of the rest of our church family. Your faith helps you, no doubt about it, but your faith also helps you to stand and strive together with the rest of the church family. And so what we see here is that solidarity is strength. Solidarity, standing together, standing side by side, striving together against opposition, together, right? Knowing you're part of a family of faith, it strengthens your faith so that you're not frightened to speak up for Jesus. And you feel this way, right? There are people in your life there are experiences that you've had where when you hear them, you think, oh, wait, I could share this, right? Oh, this is what I should say the next time X comes up in conversation, right? And there's really, there's, there's three ways that we get, there's three kinds of people, actually, where we get strength for our walk with God. Three people where we grow and we get strength through solidarity in the church. Um, first, so this idea of strength and solidarity, the first kind of people that you need for your faith to be strong are you need experts in the Bible. Okay, you need experts in the Bible. You need speakers, you need pastors, you need elders, um, but you need people to show you, to show you that Christianity is the best explanation of the facts of history and science. And that solidarity gives you strength to stand up against opposition. When people talk about how science and the Bible completely are diametrically opposed and you literally have to take your brain out of your head and put it on a shelf in order to read the Bible, you need experts that know a lot more than you about the Bible and about science to help you see that God actually revealed himself both in the Bible and in science and those things don't contradict. And it's one thing to say it, but you've heard, I mean, we've talked about these themes before, but there are people out there on YouTube and articles and books, um, and it, it strengthens you to be able to stand up for Jesus in the face of that kind of opposition. 
And so I took 10 seconds to think about the experts in the Bible that I love, that have meant a lot to me. And I think about people like N.T. Wright, like Tim Keller, William Lane Craig, Stephen Meyer, Greg Kokel, Erwin McManus, um, John Meyer. These are just some of the people whose teachings I have stood together with so that I'm not frightened by the opponents of Jesus. And there's hundreds of them out there. Like, I, at one point... Uh, I, I don't just read stuff, but I enter into the brains of people, you know, and so I don't, it's not just enough for me to read what they have to say, but I have to like figure out how did they think this, and so um, I actually have a file on my computer where I've kind of walked through my entire Christian life, which is now, what if I'm like 30, 20, 30, almost 29 years walking with Jesus, and I have this list, and it's, it's got to be, I mean, I don't really know, but it's probably like 75 people that that have helped me and stood with me when I have not known what to say or how to answer or what to do, or I'm like, man, this is the end of my relationship with Jesus because this means the Bible can't be true. And then you read something, you're like, oh. I mean, we all need experts in the Bible because there are experts out there against the Bible, right? There's opposition against the Bible and against Jesus and against Christianity. And these are just some of the people that I have learned from and have stood together with. And so, and you need these experts. And so in some ways, Sundays are a little bit of, of, of meeting that need. Um, and so, so you need experts in the Bible. Second, the other kind of people that you need are you need people who have suffered. Okay, you need people who have suffered. <laughs> got an amen, I got a hands up in the back. You need people who show you that Jesus is so real for them in the suffering of their lives. Right? You need to hear how Jesus has gotten them through suffering. And, it, and Jesus gives you strength uh, and invites you. When you hear this, it invites you to stand with them. Kathy, my heart was moved. I started crying in your story because you're standing up here and you're talking about how Jesus met you in your suffering and has walked you through it. Like my heart, I'm like, I want to, I mean, people stood with you, right? We stood up to applaud you because of your strength. You give us strength. I mean, this is what we need. Um, this has been so powerful in my own life. Like I am so proud to stand with so many of you in our church. Again, I took like 30 seconds just to rattle off people in our church. I think about John and Katie Jackson. I think about Jackie Vance. I think about Chad Gray. I think about Jim and Jackie Hopkins, Michelle Corbett, David Rhodes, John and Kylie Lee, um, Barbara Morrison, Mary and Donahue, Dan Hendrickson, Mark and Sandy Malapard, Mike and Casey Forrest, Ben Parks. I mean, every one of these people, and there are so many more in our church, but every one of these people have told me stories of suffering and difficulty and how they've lived through it with Jesus. They've testified to me. They've told me that Jesus has been real for them how Jesus has met them in suffering and how they've lived through it and how they are right now living through it. Man, this is a present day experience. It's not just suffering in the past. And boy, that was tough, but we're glad we're on the other side of it. Some of us are in the middle of it right now and Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. He gives us joy this is a different kind of evidence than the experts in the Bible give us, and we need both. 
We need both kinds of evidence, and we need a family of people that talk this way and live this way and have a relationship with Jesus that is there for us with faith that's strong when our faith is weak. And then the last kind of people that you need to know are people who know you. People who know you. I mean really know you. Experts in the Bible are wonderful. People who can testify about how great God has been for them are great. But when you are struggling with something that no one else knows about, when that struggle is crushing you, when you are failing because you're just not strong enough to handle the situation and no one knows, let me tell you what that struggle does. It takes over. It takes over your heart and your mind. It has this ability. It's got these two words that it uses magically in your life that trumps everything. And those two words are, yeah, but. Yeah, but. There are answers to all the objections to Christianity. Yeah, but you're not really a Christian. Because look at what you're doing. There are amazing stories of people in this church who are living with Jesus and he's meeting with them and suffering and how amazing is that? Yeah, but this is not true for you because look at what you are dealing with. No one else is dealing with that. I mean, come on. Like, that's shameful. You better not speak up because they'll escort you out and you don't belong here. That yeah, but... It kills everything. And the way to crush that enemy is to have people in this church family who know you. You need people who know you. I cannot tell you how often I get the privilege of being the person who gets to stare someone else in the face who is struggling with something that is soul-shattering and to be able to look them in the eye and say, I know. Me too. You're not the only one. In fact, this is more common than you know. Every single one of us desperately need other people, other Christians in our lives who know your sins and failures so that they can remind you of Jesus' love and forgiveness. Their acceptance of you reminds you and sometimes proves to you that God accepts you too. So, our church family is not perfect. Not by any stretch of the imagination on any measurement, we're not perfect. But that's part of the beauty of our church. Man, Jesus meets us in our imperfections. Our imperfections show Jesus' grace and his power most clearly. Um, Jesus is the reason why you should consider calling this church your home. Okay? It's him in us that makes us us. And so again, you need people, you need people who know God's word, people who've suffered, and people who know you. And let me just plug this is why we have life groups. Our life groups are the places where our church family stands together 
most fully. So join one. Join one. They meet during the week in homes. Uh, there's one that meets during the first service upstairs. So you can go to that and then come here for second service. And then today we also have, there's one other way that we're focusing on a, a great way to stand in solidarity, and that's in serving the church. That's in serving the church. Um, we want everyone who calls our church home to serve, to serve one Sunday a month on one of the volunteer teams. Our church has doubled in the last four years, and our church Sunday need for volunteers has also doubled. And so again, our vision, like we think a lot about what we ask you for, and we try to be careful not to ask you for too much. We ask you for Sundays, we ask you for a, you know, to join a life group, um, and then we ask you to be available to serve needs that happen you know, once or twice a year, special needs. Um, we also ask you to give, um, so you know, don't forget that. But um, we ask everyone who calls our church home to serve one Sunday a month. Right? And we have three teams especially that we need help with. Okay? And what's amazing about these three teams is that they all help us to make verse 27 come true. So if you serve on one of these teams, you make this verse come true. That we are standing together with one mind. We're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we have our ops team, our operations team. This is setting the table so that people can meet Jesus on Sundays. The reason that you're sitting here, the reason that some of you are caffeinated, the reason that many of you aren't hungry, right? The reason you're not cranky and angry after the service. The reason why some of you don't leave because you would bolt, except it's nice when you're in a group of people and you're not sure who you're going to talk to. It's nice to hold something, right? It's nice to be able to drink something so that you can figure out who you're going to talk to next, right? These are things that I do all the time, and I'm so thankful for food and drink after the service. The point of our, I think I just kind of went from ops to hospitality, didn't I? <laughs> You know, sometimes the spirit just, you know, it's meshing all together. Um, so our operations team sets the table on Sunday morning so that you can worship, so that you can sing, so that you can hear, so that you can write, you know, so you can, I mean, it's all these things, right? And so we need people to set up, and then we need people to put it all away when we're done around, uh, around 1230. Um, second, our Harbor City Kids Ministry I mean, we need a team of people every week to introduce our kids to Jesus and to help them grow up to be fully formed members of Jesus' family so they would grow up knowing how much Jesus loves them so that they wouldn't just hear it from Bible stories, but that they would experience it from the love and the care and the joy of men and women who teach them. And then hospitality create space for us to be together before and after the service. And so listen, our church has grown, lots more people. Many of you are not yet serving once a month. We know who you are. <laughs> um, we need 40 more people to sign up to serve once a month, okay? There's a couple ways you can do that. You can say, all right, I'm giving in, I'm finally, take the connection card, and you can write your name, phone number, email address, and we'll follow up with you. 
um, in the back of the worship space, right there in the corner, we have signups. We actually have an app where you bring your phone and you like scan the code, the QR code on exactly how it works, and it brings you to um, a website. You can fill out a form that says, like, this is the team that I want to serve on. So you can do that today. So I want to encourage you, if you're not serving once a month, please don't leave here without signing up to serve on one of these teams. And again, this makes this part of the Bible come true. It lets these, each of these teams lets us stand together on Sundays. Each of these teams lets us strive together for the faith of the gospel each week. And what's exciting is that when you serve, and you kind of forget this sometimes, when you serve, you honor Jesus. Like he is thrilled. Your service becomes this like offering. It's like a gift to Jesus. And it's one that he is delighted to receive. So I want to encourage you. Encourage you. When the church stands together like we've described, when the church acts this way, like a loving family, supporting each other, caring for each other, meeting each other's needs, it is a clear sign. It is a sign to us and to the world that Jesus has been raised from the dead. When we live together as a family, when we serve each other, we show the world the power and the love of Jesus. And you might think, well, you know what, like, uh, who's looking? No one cares. They don't really care if we're a church family or not. Not true. Like Jesus himself said that the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says the world will know that God sent Jesus, that Jesus is the expression of God on earth if his children are one. If they're acting like a family. And so let me give you some inspiration from someone who, to me, is an expert. Um, this is from Erwin McManus. He pastors Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. And man, he, well, let me just tell you what he said. He said this. He said, this gets to sort of the exclusivity thing, because that's something that everybody has problems with, right? How could Jesus be the only one? Here's what he says. He says, every religion gives you a path to achieve your ultimate end. If you're trying to achieve enlightenment, Buddhism has a path to move toward enlightenment. If you're trying to find pleasure in Allah, Islam gives you a path to hopefully find the favor of Allah. If you're trying to find favor with God, Catholicism gives you a path to find favor with God. Every religion gives you a path. And religions were not created by God. Religions were created by us. And in the worst case scenario, religions were created to control humanity through guilt and shame. You, if you can tell a person, unless you do what I tell you, you will never find forgiveness and acceptance with God, you can really manipulate people. Because we're paralyzed by fear. We're paralyzed by the unknown. We're paralyzed and terrified by death. And so we create these constructs and we tell ourselves stories to try to help us overcome our fear. But in the end, religions give us what we must do to get God's attention. Everyone knows their life is missing something. They know their life, they're just existing. They know that something's wrong, that something's broken. There's a hole, there's a hollowness inside their soul. 
And so you have to go through this process of taking on religion so that one day, maybe, God will finally approve you and give you life. And the idea is that God is sitting on top of the highest mountain and he's waiting to see who is worthy of being in his presence. And so you spend your life climbing and climbing and working and working and failing and regrouping and climbing and climbing to try to get to the top of the mountain so you might get to God. And so we have this construct throughout history that tells us that God is elusive and we have to earn our way to God. Then he says, any God who forces you to earn his love is not worthy of your worship. And this is where Jesus doesn't qualify as a religion. Because if every religion gives us a construct to enlightenment, to nirvana, to God, to heaven, to salvation, to whatever it is. See, Jesus flips it all upside down. Because Jesus didn't come to tell us what we need to get to God. Jesus came to show us what God would do to get to us. There are people who say, look, I can believe in God, but I don't know about Jesus. But wait, God is the word that we use to talk about us searching for him. But Jesus is the name we use when we talk about God searching for us. Those uncomfortable words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. It seems so exclusive. Like, why would Jesus cut out all the other options? Jesus isn't saying, look, I'm so exclusive that I don't want you to try anybody else. What he's actually saying is this. I need you to understand that no one else is coming for you. No one else is coming for you. There is no other God who is coming for you. Why would you spend your entire life trying to earn the approval and love of a God who is indifferent to you? They don't exist, and they're not coming for you. Friends, any God who isn't coming for you isn't worth running after. And that's the power and the wonder of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, this speaks to the deepest part of who we are. We know that without you, we aren't whole. We know that without a relationship with God, without a relationship with the, with the divine, without a relationship with what's out there, we, we're empty. And we confess that we've tried, that we've chased after, we've have strived to find wholeness, to find peace. It is amazing that you are coming after us. Jesus, let us all bow in wonder and awe again that you are different.
that there is no one like you. That you are God coming after us. We open our hearts and ask you to lead us wherever you would want. Thank you for not stopping at anything to reach us. Draw near to us today for those especially who have not committed to you. Jesus, help them to see the difference that you are and let them stand in solidarity with us. If you want to give your life to Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to follow you wherever you'll lead. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me and accept me into your family. If you're willing to do that today, everything will change. Your life will change because everything about you, what is most important to you, will change. Jesus, walk with us this week. Deepen our sense of standing together. Help us to be a place where we are known. Thank you for making it safe by your forgiveness and acceptance and grace. We praise you. Amen.